Hi, I'm your host, Ureli, and welcome to my true crime vault. I'm back for episode two, guys. I feel like that's a pretty good accomplishment. I'm honestly kind of proud of myself for pulling through on this second one. Um, I'm not gonna lie, I feel like this episode's gonna be a bit better than last, but that's what we want. We want the progress. Um, as always, the sources are gonna be in the episode description. Um, so in case you want to look on your own, they'll be there for you. So let's get started. Welcome to episode two, Catherine Mary Knight. On today's episode, we're leaving the United States and going to Australia, specifically Aberdeen. On October 24th, 1955, Catherine Mary Knight was born. Alongside a twin, she did have a twin. Her parents were Barbara Ruffin and Ken Knight. Their small town was shocked when they all learned that Catherine was the product of an affair and not the biological child of Barbara and her husband at the time, Jack Ruffin. When this scandal exploded in their small and conservative town, Barbara and Jack obviously split and Barbara went to go live with Ken and she took Catherine with her. The other children would actually end up moving to live with their aunt in Sydney, Australia, but sadly in 1959, Jack Ruffin would pass away, which meant that the two children who were living with him moved into the night residence. Now, Catherine didn't have many friends, and she was really only close to her twin and her uncle, Oscar Knight. In 1969, she was absolutely devastated when she found out that her uncle, her closest friend, had committed suicide. Already, Catherine was given a rough start into her life. Her mother's affair and the rumors it caused followed her behind her back, even when she returned to the town that she was born in. Now, while she was living in the night residence, her father was an alcoholic. He would lash out in anger every time he would get drunk and would violently rape Barbara often. Now, sometimes this would happen up to 10 times a day. Barbara would also confide in her daughter and go into explicit detail of her sex life. Keep in mind that Catherine was only 11 or even younger at this point in time. It didn't specify. She would also constantly tell her daughter how much she hated men, which to me is a little bit ironic once you find out what this story is all about. There was one instance when Catherine was a teenager where she decided to confide in her mother and tell her about a sexual act that her partner at the time wanted her to perform and how she was hesitant and didn't want to do it. In turn, her mother would tell her to put up with it and get over it. Also, around this time, Catherine was being sexually assaulted by multiple family members, though through her own words, her father was never involved in any of these attacks and this has never been confirmed or denied. Dealing with all these things psychologically isn't healthy and there was never any reports on night seeking any sort of help from professionals. Now, clearly there's a lot of residual anger that's evident as she grows into an adult. And it doesn't justify the evil and honestly inhumane actions she would later be known for. Now, moving into her school years, Catherine was a model student. She received many awards, not academically, but supposedly for her good behavior. But when you look past that model student persona, you'll find that she was a pretty scary kid. She was known to bully and terrorize her peers, more so the ones who were a lot younger than her and obviously smaller. She once assaulted a little boy with a weapon and thankfully he was left unharmed. But it didn't just stop at terrorizing peers. Knight was also known to terrorize teachers, and in one instance, Knight was injured by one. When the school decided to look into what happened, it was found that the teacher was only acting in self-defense. 
Knight was the aggressor in the situation. By the age of 15, she decided that she was ready to drop out of school. She did this without learning how to read or write. And soon after leaving school, she began her employment with a clothing factory as a cutter, which basically just meant she was cutting fabrics. After being with the factory for a little over a year, she decided to switch to her dream job, gutting animals of their intestines at a butcher shop. She then got promoted to removing the bones out of the animals. And when she got this promotion, it meant that she got her own personal set of butcher knives. And when she got home, she decided that she would place them somewhere safe, somewhere decorative, right above her bed, where they would be, according to Catherine, handy if she ever needed them. Now that we know more about who Catherine was while she was growing up and a little bit about her young adult life, you'll be shocked when you hear what happened in her adult life. It really just kept getting worse. In 1973, Catherine met her new co-worker, David Kellett. A year later, they got married and they had a small service. Here's a little bit of context. The day of and right before their service, both of them showed up on a motorcycle with David on the back, completely intoxicated. He was drunk. But right before it was time to say I do, Barbara, his soon-to-be mother-in-law, pulled David to the side and gave him a little bit of advice. Warning, there is some crude language that I will be speaking as this is direct quote from Barbara. You better watch this one or she'll fucking kill you. Don't ever think of playing up on her. She'll fucking kill you. She's got to screw loose somewhere. She wasn't dramatic because that same night, Catherine tried to strangle her new husband. What was her reason? Because he had fallen asleep after only having intercourse with her three times. This marriage was filled with a lot of violence, and there was one occasion where she hit David in the back of the head with a frying pan. Honestly, right out of the Tangled movie, minus the lovey-dovey romance. And when he later went to the hospital, doctors found that he actually had a fractured skull. This woman had some strength in her, that's for sure. Soon after the incident, David was actually tempted to press charges against Catherine, but she somehow managed to convince her husband to drop all charges and they continued to stay together. Once Catherine gave birth to their first child, David had run away with another woman to Queensland. He finally had enough. The next day, witnesses saw Knight pushing a stroller with her daughter in it and violently pushing it from side to side. Now, because of this incident, she would be admitted into a hospital where she would later be diagnosed with postpartum depression. Catherine spent over a month in the hospital recovering from her diagnosis. Soon after she got out, she would end up taking her two-month-old daughter to a set of railroad tracks and simply left her there. Luckily, there was an elder man, a local, who was foraging near the tracks when he spotted the baby and rescued her. The train was only five minutes away at this point when he found her. While this was going on, Catherine had ended up in town swinging a stolen axe threatening to kill everyone in sight. Luckily, before she could take action, she was taken away back to St. Elmo's Hospital. Though, unfortunately, she did check herself out the very next day. Just days later, she would go over to her neighbor's house asking for a ride to the hospital because her daughter was really sick. 
When they were inside the car, Catherine pulled a knife on not only her neighbor, but her neighbor's 16-year-old daughter and demanded that she take them to Queensland in order to find her husband, David, to bring him home. Honestly, this woman is insane. She is doing too much for this man. The pair did escape when they stopped at a service station, but even when police had arrived, she somehow managed to hold a little boy hostage. Police disarmed her, and soon she was admitted to Morissette Psychiatric Hospital. When her husband found out about what had happened, he quickly left his girlfriend, broke up with her, and took his mother with him back to Aberdeen to support Catherine. Once she was released, they all packed up everything and moved to Woodridge. So it was David, Catherine, and his mother and their daughter. Soon after the move, Catherine decided that she wanted to leave David. She tried living in other towns nearby, but she ended up injuring her back at work. So they were given a housing commission house in Aberdeen. From this point on, her only source of income was the pension for disability. A few years later, Catherine met her new beau, 38-year-old David Saunders. So I'm going to actually call David Saunders, just so we don't get Kellett and Saunders confused. I'm going to go by their last names. It'll be easier. After only a few months together, he decided to move into her home. At the time, he did have his own apartment back in Scone, which is another town in Australia nearby, um, but he would end up staying with her most of the night, so he would kind of just drift back and forth. A year later, the couple was arguing about Saunders hiding an affair from her. In reality, he wasn't, but in her anger, Catherine stood in their backyard and sliced the throat of his two-month-old puppy right in front of him. She claimed that she wanted to set an example for him so he knew what would happen if he ever decided to go behind her back and have an affair. I cannot begin to describe how many signs Catherine is showing of eventually becoming a killer. I feel like this is textbook definition of what a future killer acts like. And it didn't even stop there. Later that same day, she knocked him out with a frying pan. Different boyfriend, same problems. Even after she killed his pet and knocked him unconscious with a piece of cookware, he decided to stay in the relationship with her and even end up buying a house with her. He put down the deposit and a year later, with the money she got from her disability, she paid off the rest of the house. And I want you guys to realize we're not to the crime part yet. Like, we have not reached what all of this is about. I, we haven't reached why I'm telling you about who she is. This all happened before, and yet there was not a single time where she was charged for domestic violence that she would put these men through. Returning back to the topic of the house that they bought, it wasn't your version of a family home. Instead of pictures of her children or her family, she decided to decorate the interior with animal skins, skulls, horns, rusty animal traps, machetes, rakes, and pitchforks. I looked at some pictures of this home, and there was not a single space left without some sort of disturbing item taking it up. The final straw for Saunders was during their last argument. Knight hit him in the face with a clothing iron and stabbed him in the stomach with a pair of scissors. Soon after that, he went into hiding for months. 
and Knight being herself was set on trying to track him down, but with no luck, no one would admit where he was. But when he did return, because he wanted to go see his daughter, Catherine went to the police, claiming she was frightened by his violent actions. Police issued her an apprehended violence order. In 1990, during a three-year-long relationship with a different man, she began to have an affair with a man named John Price. He was liked by everyone who knew him and their day-to-day lives. He was a minor who was making a great living for himself and his two elder kids who were living with him at the time. See, my question is, for every man who dated this woman, is how did you not know her reputation? She was known in her town for just how crazy she was. And when John Price came into her life, oh, he was well aware of her history with other men, and yet he still allowed her to move into his house in 1995. Even though they had their arguments during the beginning, he claimed, this is a quote, life was a bunch of roses. It was until it wasn't when Knight got him fired from his job, all because he refused to marry her. He had this job for 17 years, and in a day, she got him fired by videoing different items he had stolen from work, which really all he took was med kits. They were expired, too. That same night, he rightfully kicked her out, and their town was blowing up the story on media when they found out what Catherine had done. But eventually, they did get back together, except this time, he didn't let her move back in. Because of this relationship, he lost the majority of his friends and even became estranged with some of his family because they refused to be a part of his life while he stayed with this quote-unquote crazy woman. By the year 2000, their relationship was way past rocky at this point. Their arguments became frequent and with each time more violent. But when I tell you these fights were violent, almost always John would end up getting stabbed in some way, shape, or form, he somehow got injured by her. And remember, this isn't your normal couple, so you kind of got to think of different extremes with them. She would use physical violence. February 29th, on his way to work, he stopped at the magistrate and got a restraining order so she would stay away from him and his children. When he arrived at work, he told his co-workers if he didn't return the next day, it's because Catherine had killed him. He went about his normal workday, and when he went home, he realized the house was empty, and so he decided to spend the rest of his evening with his neighbors before going to bed at 11 p.m. The next day, co-workers would end up banging on Price's bedroom window because he had not shown up for work. They continued to look around the outside of the house when they spotted blood on the door. Soon after, at 8 a.m., police arrived to break down the door door was finally down and to their horror they found his body and Catherine who was passed out nearby on the couch now his body wasn't intact he was decapitated and skinned completely the body was taken out of the house where the autopsy revealed he had been stabbed 37 times both at the front and the back of his body the way he actually died was because he bled out Now, I can't even begin to imagine what it must have been like to know that you're dying and be awake during all these stabbings. He wasn't very coherent, but he was lucid. So, the entire time that she was stabbing him, he was alive. Now, the attack actually began in his sleep, so this lasted probably about an hour. 
Once she made sure that he was dead, she went to his bank and withdrew over a thousand dollars from his bank account. But what happened to his body post-mortem was what no one expected. She cooked parts of his body and served the meat with baked potato, pumpkin, and a few other things. And it's honestly disgusting to think about what the process was like from him being a whole person to a literal meal. And I'm sorry that I'm saying that, but he was a, he was literally a meal. Like, she cooked him down. Her plan was so detailed, if I'm being honest. She really thought this out. This meal she was going to serve to his children. When police were investigating, they realized just how experienced Catherine was with butcher knives. She had years of training. She was very precise and the entire skin came off in one piece, including hair. Even though they had found all of this, they still weren't even done looking around the entire house. But in the kitchen, there was a large pot on the stove and it was still warm. When they lifted the lid, there was John Price's head brewing with vegetables. I want to take a second here to describe what, where was his body? His body was in the kitchen, sitting on a chair with an arm wrapped around a one and a half liter of a soft drink, and his legs were crossed. I can't begin to imagine what it must have been like for these police officers to see a completely skinned and decapitated human be posed in such a way. It was just, it's just degrading. It is truly just degrading to John Price. So finally, they went outside. Outside, they looked around and in the grass they saw that there looked to be like a third meal and it it seemed to have been thrown out and some parts of it were chewed but looked like it had been spit up and police believe that this was Catherine's attempt at trying to eat it but she just couldn't finally Catherine was booked into jail and that's when her trial process started and it was really lengthy originally she pled not guilty to manslaughter and throughout all of this her trial kept getting pushed to a later date. The first trial that finally made it in the court was on October 15th, 2001. There were 60 jury prospects, and this is a big deal because the judge allowed them to be excused because of the severity and the graphic nature of the evidence that would be presented in court. Five did end up opting out, and honestly, I don't blame them. I might have always wanted to be part of a jury, especially in such a complex case like this, but I don't know if I could actually handle seeing all of these images. The charge would eventually be changed to murder, which Knight pled guilty and the judge suggested that she be evaluated because he didn't believe that she understood the severity of her pleading guilty. While this was going on, her legal team was actually planning to defend her by claiming she had amnesia and disassociation during the time of the crime. There have been cases where defendants have claimed that they didn't remember committing a crime, and I agree that the brain is really powerful, but I still think it takes a lot of inner anger and subconscious thoughts to actually do something to this severity. I mean, I've told you about her past, and those violent tendencies were there. There were clearly signs. During a part of the trial, Catherine went hysterical and had to be sedated. The judge pointed out, 
the nature of the crime and Knight's lack of remorse gave more reason to give a severe penalty. Her sentence was life without parole, the first time in Australian history where a woman was sentenced to such a penalty. And I want to go ahead and wrap this up with the words of Justice McClellan. This was an appalling crime, almost beyond contemplation in a civilized society. I feel like this just really highlights that you never know what a person is capable of until they do something like this. I send out my condolences to the family of John Price. His death, the manner of it was so devastating. It was, it honestly was degrading to his honor and to his name. And I hope he has his peace. And I'm glad that Catherine was finally put behind bars where she can't hurt anyone else. But that was my case on Catherine Mary Knight. I hope you guys liked this and thank you for visiting my true crime vault. I'll talk to you guys later.